Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast, the original all-turkey, all-the-time podcast with your co-hosts Andy Galliano and Cameron Weddington. In our weekly podcast, we're going to bring you some wild turkey calling tips like this. From there, we're going to go into, she's aggravated, there's another hen that's challenged her, or she's challenging another hen, she's going to cut an excited yelp. Advice from old pro turkey hunters like this. The turkeys typically don't like, I think, more times than not, to travel in an easterly direction into the sun first thing in the morning, especially after he gets up. It's a blinding thing. It, it, it's just like you. It's hard for you to see into the sun. Mm-hmm. So if I have a choice, I'm going to try to make it so that I'm going to be on the west side in the morning east side in the afternoon of a turkey exciting live hunts like this holy crap they're coming teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this with some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this if you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding that tends to be habitat that can be managed more successfully with growing season fire than with dormant season fire. And hopefully along the way, we'll get plenty of these. Well, on November the 28th of 1953, I was attached. When I popped out of my mom and the baby doctor spanked me on the bottom, I went, oh, and I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 395, Hunting Hinned Up Gobblers, with Donald Devereaux Jarrett, and I am your co-host, and the guy who has a sore but and i'm your co-host and the guy who's made the first dent in the off-season honeydew hey hey that's always a good thing no i disagree i i prefer to put it off and go turkey hunting stage but pretty massive list man i'm not gonna lie there's there's a lot that i didn't do in the (laughs) (laughs) off-season i'm the same exact way i've been busy with work and you know, doesn't seem like anything has gotten done since deer season ended. And so that's, yeah. you know, February, March, April, May. So that's a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, my my garage, it, I figured I needed to do that first considering I couldn't park in it anymore. Mm-hmm. So we got, but I mean, heck, most people's garages are that way. They all park in the driveway and can't fit anything in the garage. Mine's definitely that way. 
that's how most books are. But yeah. Got mine cleaned out. That was stage one. So there there. I, I have a feeling I know why you got a sore butt because you told me that. Why don't you tell everybody why your your tailbone is bruised? It's sore for two reasons. I got my rear end kicked in one of the two <laughs> states that I was in this past week, and then reason number two is one day I sat on that rear end because we were not seeing any turkeys in fields and turkeys were not gobbling. So I sat on my rear end for no exaggeration, zero exaggeration now, (laughs) no less than 10 hours in a 14 hour day, 10 hours Mm. of sitting on my rear end. And And nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. That night, when I went to get in the shower, I looked, turned around, looked in the mirror, and I mean, it looked like I'd just gotten out of the principal's office after (laughs) calling a teacher, you know, a dirty, low down, no good. (laughs) You got the paddle. Blankety, blank, blank, blankety, blank, blank. I mean, it was seriously, when I saw it, I thought, Tomorrow morning, I'm going to have a huge bruise right there where my tailbone has been on the ground for 10 hours today. But it's still sore. I mean, seriously, it's sore still. And this has now been... That's a long long time to sit, man. Oh, yeah. Very long time. So that was... I think that was Saturday. Saturday. No, it was Sunday. Because the last day was Monday. No, no. Was it Saturday? Yeah, it was Saturday. Okay. So that was... It's just just a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So that's been four days. Wow. And it's still sore. Well, so I'm kind God, of glad you didn't kill there. Because, go ahead. No, I was just going to say God didn't gift me with a lot of padding back there. So I'm not a very good <laughs> sitter. I could tell you how to get more back there. You just got to eat a lot more and move a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> you know. You'll have a big old pad for next year. You just might not be able to walk far to sit down. Right, exactly. I'll get out of the truck and just have to sit down. Yeah, it's a love-hate relationship there. No doubt, no doubt. But so. I was going to say, I'm kind of glad you didn't get that steak because I think you're going to finish this thing next year, possibly. And if that's the case, you need to go out with an Eastern. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think I would rather <laughs> have just gotten it done. Yeah. You know, you in the season like that and ended on a negative note. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a hundred percent happy with the way the hunt went. I'm not, you know, completely down and out about the way the hunt went, but you always want to end on a positive note and it didn't happen. And so that's what I've got to study on and, you know, reflect on for the next Oh, nine months. Well, I was 20 minutes away from joining you in that endeavor, but the good Lord sent a sacrificial lamb in the last 20 minutes of hunting <laughs> for me in that same state that you were in. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I was I was right there with you to, if I hadn't had one streak of luck right there at the end, but yeah. I got to go out with a bang. Yeah. Take them how you can get them, so. man, you know, and... and in the past, because you know this about me, I'm generally a, a very upbeat, positive kind of person. But, you know, in the in the past, I've always looked at that an unsuccessful hunt as being an opportunity to go back and enjoy hunting another state. But yeah. this one, you know, I kind of looked at it like I'm ready to get this marked off and I can be done with this entire part of the country. 
Yeah, that's true. You're done with everything but that one now. Yeah, and so, you know, that was a little disappointing. So mm. it's all right. You know, I, I mean, there's worse things, and I, I've said this a couple different times, and I think I said it in the interview with, with DJ that, you know, I live to hunt another day, God willing. That's right. And That's right. You'll be back next year. I didn't kill a whole year. bunch of turkeys. There's turkeys left because I didn't kill one. So, yeah, you know, there's opportunity. That's, that's a good deal. Well, we got a good one today. We got yes, Donald we Devereaux Jarrett joining us on our series on hinned up gobblers, and he's a, I would say, he's an expert on the Merriam's wild turkey. Is he's a guide for those turkeys, which means he interacts with them very often. And so, as we all know, Merriam's, Easterns, Rios, they all have. They're all turkeys, but they all have some minute differences. Mm-hmm. And so we dive into it with him on how he hunts, and he has experience with Easterns as well, so we touch on both. But right, it's nice to have a guy with perspective on both that has a lot of experience with both. Because, you know, I've hunted Merriams. I've, I've killed quite a few, but I've, it's not like I have called 50 to the gun or something. So I don't yeah. consider myself to be an expert on that topic. Yeah. Uh, I'm the I'm the same way, you know, and I think the times that I've hunted Merriams have all been late season. I don't believe I've ever hunted early season Merriams to where they're just absolutely jam-packed, hinned up. You know, you, you have those late season hunts where you've got birds at roost, you know, toms at roost with hens, and then fly down, and after an hour, two hours, three hours, the toms are alone and they're gobbling their brains out. And that's been my experience, but I've not been up there in that area and hunted for birds that are just with hens all day long, you know. So yeah, I've got very little experience in that regard. And from know, what so. he said with, with the properties in this interview, he's they're dealing with a good population of turkeys, which means lots of hens. <laughs> right. You know, so that makes it difficult. And so you want to hop in here, get in this conversation with Donald and see what what dj has to offer let's do it i mean we right. I, I learned some good stuff on this one so you guys keep your ears open all right see you guys on the other side good afternoon dj oh, what's going on <laughs> not much how you doing good, hey dj man. hey bub how are you man i'm about as pitiful as they can come this sucks turkey season's over absolutely correct i agree with you 100 <laughs> percent terrible ptsd man ptsd yep. Yep, Jesus. you're right. I got it real bad after this weekend, or after this past week. Why? Why is that? One day, this is no joke, I'm being dead serious. One day, I deer hunted turkeys for 10 hours. <laughs> oh, God. That's brutal. Because they, they were not gobbling doing anything. It was yeah. brutal. My like- butt bone was red, and I think it's bruised now. <laughs> That's brutal been there and done it i know you i know how you feel man just i mean bad tough so and then on top of that i have to deal with the fact that that's my last memory of turkey season for 2022 so i get to study on that for about nine months oh you'll be chomping at the bit next spring for sure darn too that's tough we all we all always want to end on a good note you know Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, 
<laughs> That's all right. It you know, I made it home safely, and if the good Lord's willing, I'll be around next year. And uh, right. I guess the good news is I didn't kill a whole bunch of birds this year, so there'll be more birds running around next year. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Uh huh. So now I get in the truck and I put two seat belts on because <laughs> I'm going to live to see next year if I got any say so in it. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, whatever it takes. Uh-huh. Yeah. You come through Birmingham, you see some fool in the fast lane going 45 on the interstate. It's me. You just, when you drive by, just honk the horn and wave. I'll wave back at you. There you go. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So, anyway. How was your season? Cameron? Well, mine was excellent. I have no complaints. I always got one of those in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it was. I have no complaints. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. I didn't particularly. Well, a, I had an advantage because we got some new property, and mm-hmm. it was absolutely unbelievably loaded in turkeys. So that's helpful. Dang right. Well, I'm sure it was. I did. I did not shoot one there, but I. I still got mine on, on other ground. And outside of there, though, I didn't particularly hear a whole ton of turkeys and but i did see a ton of jakes and the ones i heard i was able to capitalize on that were mature gobblers so seeing a bunch of jakes was a huge uh encouragement to me that's the first time i've seen that in a long time that's always good that's good so i have no complaints about my season here and then all my travels went well too so I, i have zero complaints good deal that's all we can hope for in every season is uh, to walk out feeling good about it instead of hanging our head with a tail tuck, you know. Yes, I almost had my tail tuck because I, I killed one the last 20 minutes of the last you know, on Sunday, I guess it was, uh, or Monday. I almost Monday. had to think about it like Andy's going to do all, all year, but instead I'll get to just talk to him about how great I ended my season. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice having friends like Cameron, isn't it, Donald? <laughs> Absolutely is. I know some of them just like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm telling you. So, did you hunt in Georgia at all this year? I got to hunt a grand total of two days in Georgia this year. Mm. Uh, when I got back from South Dakota, I got back very late uh, on a Saturday night. I was off that Sunday, but I, I just I couldn't get up. I had a long drive and just worn out. And, uh, I said, well, I'm off Wednesday and Thursday. I had to go back to work on Monday. I worked Monday and Tuesday. was off Wednesday and Thursday and uh, hunted Wednesday and called up a Jake and a hen. And then Thursday, I just finished up the season right here on my own property, and I had a bird gobble covered up with hen. He had five hens that I know of. Of course, the hens were they were right tight. They were like 50 yards away. I didn't know I was that close to him when I sat down because I heard him gobble, and I said, well, I'm going to sit here i couldn't move he was on adjacent property that i couldn't hunt but uh sometimes it's pretty satisfying to kill a bird that comes off somebody else's property that you can't hunt so i thought that that was the only yeah that was the only bird i had in in town so he's probably 150 yards away opposite from where the hens were long story short they flew down went with him and and uh he gobbled no less than 75 times by 11 o'clock that morning but mm. he, he didn't leave, but he didn't come in, you know, so the old hen deal. But I just sat there and grinned and enjoyed it because it was a fitting end to a great season, and, and at least I got to hear something and, and uh, just, you know, we, we conversed. But 
I knew he wasn't coming. I was hoping he might break sooner or later, but he never did. While I was there, I pulled out of there about 12 o'clock and then went back that afternoon about 3, 3.30 and stayed till about 7.30. Never heard a peep. Sat in the same area, you know. Never, mm-hmm. never got it going, but uh, it was a, it was it was fine. That was a nice, cool, breezy day, and I just I enjoyed it. Yeah. So that's all I got to do. Yeah. I had better luck in Georgia before the season when I was just scouting around, and you know, I had four long beers walk right up on me. I just happened to sit down in the spot to listen to them, and they flew down, most obviously in my direction, and, and within minutes they were walking up in my lap. I mean, they came like one one started was like seven yards. I wasn't calling; mm. I was just sitting there, just happened to be in their way. But it was pretty cool. And yeah, nice. that's good stuff. Yes, yeah. it is. So I, time had a good season got i got no complaints either good deal we have on the line with us not going to say our old buddy how about our our buddy i don't want to call you old (laughs) donald Devereaux jarrett's on the line with us and we are still covering our series of hunting hind up gobblers and dj's a good source for information on this topic because he spends a great deal of his season hunting Merriam's, despite the fact that he lives and works in Georgia most of the year every year. So DJ has a guiding operation out in South Dakota and hunts Merriam's for how long out of you hunt the entire season over there? No, I wish I, I wish I did. Um, I don't have the mm-hmm. amount of time away from, from here to spend the entire season because it, it, it goes to the end of May, but I, I usually start uh, the opener in South Dakota, which you typically around the eighth, ninth, tenth, somewhere of April, and I'll I'll dog it off after that first week of May. So about five weeks time I'll spend out there. Yeah, it's a nice place to spend five weeks. It yeah. is <laughs> for sure. Well, we're going to talk about we're gonna, we're actually going to touch on some tips for some easterns, but primarily I want to focus on some tips for Merriam's because you know a lot of people in their quest to do the super slam or even complete a grand slam get out to the western U.S. to hunt Merriam's and do that when well early season when the birds are just bad hinned up and you know I understand I fortunately well I can't really say that I was gonna say I understand that it's really hard to get in and get a get a tom called in to you when there's a hundred or a hundred and fifty eyeballs because you have a humongous what basically is a winter flock mixed winter flock coming to you but and i was going to say i've never experienced that but i actually have because one of my trips and we went to we were hunting an area that one afternoon we had well over 50 jakes in a huge flock and they had one tom with them and they came into our location where we where we were calling and my buddy actually got a shot and killed that tom and i'm still kind of amazed at that with that many eyeballs around but there were no hens all jakes and one tom and i'm not kidding there were at least 50 turkeys in that group it was insane and i thought man i gotta go back the next year but ended up not doing that of course because you just move on and go to the next state and the next state and the next state but 
So I understand it's pretty tough hunting those those hinned up Merriams like that. But I also hear that if you can find them, you're doing great. That it's just hard to find them a lot of times because they are still in those big flocks. But we're we're going to turn it over to the expert because he knows and sees way more hinned up Merriam Tom turkeys than I ever have in my lifetime and probably ever will. So, Cameron, you have the first question for DJ? Sure. In my experience with Merriam's hinned up turkeys, and I'll ask you this because you, you've hunted plenty of Easterns and Merriam's, I find that it's harder to make a Merriam's hen angry. I feel like they're a much more jealous bird that is kind of the type of, when you call, they like to drag him off at a rapid pace. Does that seem accurate to you? That's accurate to a certain degree, and and I'm not disagreeing with you because that can be very, very accurate. But uh, I think that also has to do with a, a period of time when you may be hunting these birds. Certain times of the year, you can get away with, with uh, getting on a hen and, and having her come in out of the jealousy aspect, like you like you mentioned. But then there's certain times in the period of, of the season that goes along where they're just as ornery as an eastern, and they go the other way, and you have messed up when you open your mouth. So it can it can work both ways there. Yeah, I've just I feel like the other thing is like an eastern hen. If she's gonna drag him off, it you know she slowly ease off with him. He'll gobbling will fade. Those Merriam's hens, if they want to go the other way, you know he gobbles. He's a hundred yards. The next time he gobbles, five seconds later, he's three quarters of a mile. <laughs> Yeah, they cover some ground. <laughs> they do it quick. Too. <laughs> well, they decide they want to go the other way. They're going the other way. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to cut them off very often. It's just, uh, uh, particularly when you start factoring in a lot of up and down terrain, uh, they can cover that up and down way quicker than you can even think about it. So, yeah, that makes it tough. Have you, so you think there is, I mean, have you had much success with call, like having that lead hen kind of get angry and come in with Americans? Absolutely. Yes, okay. yes, many times. Uh, in fact, uh, probably, I guess it might have even been opening week out there this this particular this past spring. Uh, I called in a group of birds that was probably I don't know three to four hundred yards up a, up a draw, and uh, because we had just gained access to this particular piece of property, I knew the property well. We'd hunted it many times in the past. It sold. And then we were just late getting in touch with the getting you know hooked up with the landowner, the new landowner. We gained access. I wasn't a hundred percent sure where those birds were going to be roosted. I, I thought I knew, but I wasn't sure. So, erred on the side of caution, and we set up way away from where they actually were, not necessarily on purpose. But mm-hmm. long story short, these birds started working slowly in our direction. They weren't like, oh, here they come. It was just like sounded like it might be a little closer. So I started chit-chatting back and forth. Well, there was a particularly mouthy hen. It was the boss, no doubt. I mean, she was doing 95% of the jabbering, and, and there were other hens there, and, and several, quite a few gobblers, Jakes and Toms. But anyway, I, I got on her, and she got on me, and we went at it. And mm-hmm. the next thing, I covered that ground. It took her about 30 minutes because she wasn't in a particular hurry, but every time she opened her mouth, she was getting closer and closer and closer. Well, anyway, she drugged, I don't remember, three or four long beards in there, and, and uh, my, my client killed one. And that was an example of just, you know, you could hear her tracing it all the way down to me. And so that particular case, 
and and that's what I was talking about earlier. This uh, the transitional periods that the turkeys go through anywhere in the country. We always uh, associate that with the toms, but the hens going through transitional periods, and I think you have to to talk to the hens differently according to that as well. So later, and this year was the the most hen up I've ever seen turkeys at this particular point in the season. Uh, the last four or five days I was there. Yeah, so it was a it was a later spring as well out there. Yes, it was. It, it was definitely that way here, in my opinion, yeah, as well. Yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot of people say that here, home in Georgia, the same thing. Everything was later, colder, windier, so forth and so on. But later in the season, there's times uh, usually when you get around the 24th or so of of April on into early May, you could basically bang sticks together and turkeys want to run over you. It seems like mm-hmm. that was not the case. They were end up super bad, and it was it went the other way. Oh, I'm gonna get on her, and I start talking a little bit too rough, and away they got the whole flock. Oh yeah, you would, you know, you might see uh, one gobbler with six hands, or you might see three gobblers with one hand, but it didn't matter wherever she went. That's where they were gonna go. So mm-hmm. it it changed in the course of a few weeks. Am I correct to assume when you say you approach hand up gobblers a couple of different ways that one of the strategies would be to do just what what you and Cameron talked about and that was you know get that lead hand a little ticked off at you and get her to come in and kind of challenge you is the other strategy to talk sweet and just try to call the whole flock to you yeah is that that your other approach yeah I think uh and you have to be careful because you don't always know when that day is going to change from where I yesterday I jumped on the boss and she she came to to get some and she brought the gobbler with her and he died and everything was great but tomorrow might be the other way around you don't know when that time's going to be it could be one way in one draw and go to another canyon uh, a mile or so away and and they're acting a little differently so i don't start off by just mad cutting and jumping all over i'll kind of just match her to begin with and check you know we always talk about checking the gobbler's temperature we can check a hen's temperature too and if she I'm not trying to out-call her or, or beat, beat her up. I don't want to intimidate her because you can, you can even even an aggressive hen can be intimidated at times by the, the, your delivery. And if you intimidate one, she might be pretty bad there amongst who she is, but it's the same thing with toms. They don't recognize that decoy, per se, that you have sitting out there. He might come in and challenge it, and he might go, I don't know if I want any of that. Same mm-hmm. thing with hen. So I, I just kind of ease into it and just get a feel for it. And sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. But uh, it, it's great when you when you tick one off and, and she's coming. You know you've, you've got a, a really good chance of cashing in on that situation. But the, the soft stuff is good, too. I mean, it, you know, sometimes, you know, we can call them in by being polite and cordial and just saying, hey, I'm not. I'm just here feeding, and I'm just making a little racket. I'm just saying good morning, and the next thing you know, they come to join you and, or to pick you up or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I guess kind of walk, walk us through that routine. What what at daylight, let's assume you get on a flock, mm-hmm. gobbling in the trees, the hens are talking a little bit. What what are you kind of walk us through that and, and give us a couple of different scenarios if they're if they're, you know, if you think that hen's getting aggressive with you or what, kind of walk us through what that might look like for you. Well, I think for starters, you know, you're set up so critical 
so many times, I think it's a huge part of every hunt and it could make or break it really quickly. And when you're, when you're dealing with hens, that's, that's so crucial too, because you don't want to, I don't, I don't call drug gobbler much in the tree, even, even out there, except when I know I'm dealing with hen, really big time hen populations. And, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, Andy, when you were talking about the, the big wads of hens, you know, where you might have 75, whatever. Typically out there, if they've had a bad winter, you're going to deal with larger numbers of turkeys early on. So if you don't get in, in the mix, then you're going to fall behind because there's so much racket going on. So you kind of got to at least be known, be heard. Some gobbler in that bunch is going to hear you, but I still don't just beat them to death. Now, they're going to come out of the trees pretty early because of all the hens they've got. They're, they're bailing out. But when you get to that point where you've got a couple of gobblers over here or even one gobbler and you've got some hens over here and, and you're just trying to let him know you're there, well, I wait for that answer. And when he answers me, that's when I dog it off. I do that same thing with Easterns, more so with Easterns than, than the Miriams because of the numbers. But uh, once he answers me and I know that, that I've got his attention, that at least he knows I'm there, I'm going to wait till he hits the ground. Some people bail out quick and go, hey, I'm over here, I'm on the ground. Typically out, out in the, when I get the low numbers, like a, a single gobbler and a big group of hens, I'm not trying to be the first hen. I just want to be as quick as he hits the ground, then I bail out on top of him. And that works for me more. But going back to what you were saying or asking about scenario, if I got a hen that's talking to me and I, I recognize that, um, what I typically do is, is listen for what, what kind of mood is she in. If she's just making a little chatter and soft stuff, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably mimic her to start with. And if she picks up and starts getting aggressive, cutting at me or, or disapproving of what I'm doing, I'm still going to match her. I still don't try to outdo her, but I do match her. And if I pick up one, one ounce of uh, sense that she's going the other way, I'd just dog it off. Because if you push her, she's going to go. Now, if I feel the same way the other way, if she's coming, sounds like she's coming to me, then I'm just going to keep matching her again. And the closer she gets, the more aggressive I can get, and so forth. I just, I just don't try to. I'm, I'm going to be more equal than she is because it's rare that I have been able to beat one up to the point where she just breaks and comes running in. It's, it's always a match game for me. It works more consistent for me that way than it is me just trying to be the Duke. You know, I'm, I'm the baddest hen out here. I'm not trying to be the baddest hen. I'm just one that's going, I'm not intimidated by you. If you want some, come and get it. And a lot of times <laughs> that works. Yeah, that makes sense. So I feel, like the, I feel like there's less chance of intimidate one when I do that. I don't want to intimidate her. Yeah, So yeah, because then she's, she's leaving. Intimidate her. Yeah. I assume. Yeah. Right. And and that's that was my follow up question to that. So if you come to the realization that you might have overdone it and she might be ready to leave, what are you doing at that point? When when you say you're going to stop the aggressive talk, are you just going to go from that to soft calling or what are you what are you doing there? Yeah, I back it way down. I just change gears and shift it way down. The only the only thing I'll do after I recognize that is, is the softer stuff. Just I might yelp very softly when she yelps. If she's still cutting, I just tone it way down. It's just clucks, purrs, that kind of stuff. I just don't 
the aggression for me is over at that point. Some people may go, well, that's when you hammer them. Well, that doesn't work as often for me. Uh, getting back at them, I just tone it way down, and, and sometimes they'll they'll settle down and eventually ease on down that way. I think, of course, key, like I said, in setup, setting up where they want to be or where they want to go. That that's that's crucial too. And if you know a, a pattern route where a turkey likes to go, you can get away with screwing up just a little bit on the aggression side and going, okay, I messed up. I better dog it off. If you dog it off, let them calm down a little bit. Sometimes they'll say, all right, now I've got control of the situation. I'm going to come on and go the way I wanted to go. If you know which way that is. And of course, we, we, we hit that sometimes. We miss it sometimes. I do. Yeah. Mm. Okay. That's pretty interesting. So the why why is it that you don't necessarily want to be the first bird on the ground the first hen on the ground well i i, I guess that a lot of that's my eastern upbringing I, I i love hunting right here in georgia and across the southeast and i even came over and hunted alabama a little bit and slipped in there and tried to steal one of your birds Andy, before the season before i could get started <laughs> God bless you. I hope you got something. <laughs> I, I, I got to a few over there. We had, had a good time. But uh, we, as a, as a general rule for me, the longer you call to a bird sitting on the limb, particularly a solo gobble, I'm not talking about one that's got a lot of competitions and trying to outdo each other. Mm-hmm. If you've got a bird sitting there on, on the limb and, and he's got a hen or two around, whatever, or no hens in particular when he's got less hens, um, I feel like you're, he's more apt to hang up on the limb. And I've, sat, I've watched birds back in my younger days that sat on the limb at 11 o'clock in the morning because I was called to him while he was sitting on the limb. And it was like, all right, when I see you, I'll bail out. And he never saw me. And I never saw him. He just sat there and gobbled his brains out. And so I said, I'm doing something wrong here. I'm, I'm screwing up. Now, you'll hear me say this if you haven't already. The words always and never don't apply in turkey hunt. Nothing is all work and nothing a lot of things never they're not going to never work but for the most part for me percentage wise what we got to base a lot of things on i found that if i just let him know i'm there and let him get antsy just don't even answer him anymore he knows i'm there already i don't have to tell him over and over and over but when he bails out i'm like all right here i come and i've had birds just hate use the old worn out phrase but i've had birds just basically run over me to get to me when i do it that way not always of course mm-hmm. but a lot of time and i've killed a lot of birds that took their time but eventually showed up when i've done it that way but the other way i mean when you when you overcall a bird sitting on the limb and he stays up there for hours it's so frustrating and it's and when you know you're the reason he's still sitting there it, it, it tends to make you go back the other way so that just works for me. Everybody's got their own way of doing it. Some people say, man, I just let him know I'm there and I bail out and do a fly down. My, my method is just general little thumbs, let him know you're there. And once you know he's he's heard you, whether he gobbles or not, you know he had to hear you on some mornings. You're like, he's right there. I know you heard me. And let yeah. him do his thing. When he hits the ground, I do a fly down, and I might follow it up with assembly call. And, and uh, in his mind, you know, especially if you start getting a little more aggressive once he's on the ground and you're on the ground before other hens a lot of times. And you see that Miriam's, Easterns, other birds too. Uh, a lot of times those gobbles are the first ones out of the tree. But let him let him be first if he will be. 
I don't I don't try to drag him out. I just let him when he hits the ground, I'll I'll jump out on top of. Let's say uh, in particular to like the actual calling, you know, of your routine between an Eastern and a Merriam's, do you have you had better success with any particular I don't know type of call or calling sequence with a Merriam's compared to an Eastern? Yeah, probably so. Um, if I now I'm I don't mean this in any kind of an egotistical way because I'm not a I'm not a Dave Owens or a Paul Butsky or, or anybody in between. I I call and I, I sound like a turkey. That's the main thing. But I think knowing what to say and when to say it's more important to have. Obviously, you want to sound like a turkey. But I use diaphragm most of the time. But I use a lot of other calls on that other percentage of 20% of the time. And the, the Miriam's respond super well to box call, a high-pitched box most of the time, clear, um, whereas I've had limited success with box calls here. Now, that might be more because I don't use them as much here as I do out there. I know what they like in both places where I hunt. But South Dakota, I, if you get you something like a popper box with a cherry lid or walnut on walnut or something like that, man, they, they eat it. And uh, I'll, I'll uh, echo that that sentiment we may have to cut that out but that has been the case with me file that away yeah that'll stay in andy and cameron's file (laughs) (laughs) well i I used a a hickory uh, lid box out there this year and uh hickory on on walnut and they man i just ate it up and uh but i still i mean I use a variety of calls in any one particular hunt anywhere I go. But if I if I feel like they're hitting this, I don't have to go to something else just because. But if I know it's going to help in certain situations, I'll pick it up. But, yeah, I would say uh, between Easterns and, and Miriams, uh, if, if I'm hunting Easterns, most of the time I'm going to be chewing on a diaphragm. If I'm out there, uh, at some point my hand's going to be on that box call and it's a great locator to boot and the wind is something you got to deal with so much out there so yeah. it's, it's great for reasons yeah and are you at any point with that flock of merriams are you uh, i mean i know you said you you're going to run multiple calls but i mean are you making it a point to sound like multiple hens like a another kind of satellite flock or are you just going to be one hen no sometimes to... it is for the flock uh, idea that's yeah, just sound like more than one bird there and if they're hitting this call and not hitting that one well i'm i'm done with that one for the time being because i'm not going to waste time and, and lose enthusiasm that, that he's gaining by blowing something that he doesn't want to hear or using whatever like pot or box or whatever the case may be um i think a lot of times multiple birds will be the deal breaker anywhere particularly uh, when you're dealing with a gobbler that's got some hens. I think sometimes if we if we go, well, there's not just one hen over here. You know, I've got, there's three up here. And sometimes it can make a difference. Now, I will say this, um, just on, on the talking about um, the hens in general, particularly out there and in here as well, uh, I think sometimes we just automatically go, it's early in the season, they're going to be henned up. And, as a general rule of thumb, that's true. But at the same time, we we put all our emphasis on the fact that they've got 50 hens there, there's five gobblers, and oh my gosh, what am I going to do? But that's not always 
the, the deciding factor. And I'll give you an example to help understand what I'm trying to get at. Uh, something, I think I might have been down in Nebraska this particular day. A friend of mine and I were down there hunting, and, and we watched a couple of gobblers out in the south out the field. And we, we skirted around and got some cover on the edge of the field, way across on the other side. Made a few calls. They, they really hurt my feelings. I mean, they wouldn't even look at me. <laughs> Like, this is not this is not working. This is pissing me off. So <laughs> we finally just said, "The heck with these two dudes. Let's go find something else." Well, we rode around a little curve, and the, the field was undulated. It was a high knob, and it went around a curve. And we looked up on the hill, and there was 50, 60 birds out there. Several gobblers strutting around, bunch of hens. We backed up, went way around, and, and set up. And when we called, we expected everything just blow up, and we heard nothing. And right over the hill. I mean, what's going on? So a little time went by, and we finally got a bird gobbling behind us, and he was coming. I said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll shoot this dude. And mm-hmm. first come, first up. Well, just before he got to us, two, two gobblers came over the hill, and they, they didn't come to us. They went to him and ran him off. I said, you got to be kidding. <laughs> and we watched him. Went on out in the alfalfa, and we got we to gotta move, drop down in this draw behind us, see if we can't get on one of these points, finger trees, to get a little closer to them. So we did that, and uh, the, the way the terrain is out there, a lot of times the, the trees don't come all the way up into the flat part, so you're kind of sitting downhill below. You can't see as far. I was down low. My buddy was up a little high, so watch the birds to see what they do. And I called. He said, they're looking. Now they're eating again. I said, they're eating. He said, yeah. And then they didn't have any hens. They were just... You know, there were hens around, but they were like, we're, we're just eating. And uh, so I said, watch them again. Did it again, same thing. I said, it. Uh, let me try something else. So I did a fighting fur. He started doing fighting fur. What, what do they do? He's looking through binoculars. They're like 250, you know, way. He said, they're looking. Their head's getting a little red. Now they're eating again. I said, God dang. Mm. <laughs> said, all right let me see, see what they did this time so i took a tube call out and gobbled on it and it sounded like somebody flipped the switch on sense around stereo system gobbles everywhere ah, just crazy i said God, dang that's it <laughs> so what are they doing he said they're looking they're they're walking this way just a little bit and i gobbled again he said they're coming and within a minute or less they were standing in front of us and we, we killed both of them and one of them was 26 pounds, and the other one had five beards. And it was like, it was all about what what the transitional period they're in. We, we see all these hens, and we go, they're hand up. Well, they weren't hand up. They just weren't interested in a hen. They just had them in. They were still in the flock. It's, you know, they were mingling, you know, back and forth. They were gobblers standing around hens strutting, and they were gobblers more interested in beating each other's brains out. And they heard a gobble they didn't recognize. They cashed in on it. So, they left hens to come running in to, to whip another gobbler's butt or the mounted to. So can't look past that part of the, of the season. And early season can be different from year to year, from place to place. So that that was a big determining factor. So I've never forgotten that, and I've used it uh, more than once since that time to success. Mm. Uh, another thing I think it's important to realize too is that uh, you know when we set up on these hens like this and and we're not we're not getting them to come we're not getting a, a hen to come they're not really leaving they're not going or they maybe they're leaving you can't just throw in the chips and go well end up gobbler's got me again because those those dudes that slip in the back door with subordinate birds will bust you and hurt your feelings so you got to stay on the lookout for those those are the guys that will slip in despite 
they're not hinned up. They can't. They're not allowed to be hinned up. You know, some of them are. And when you get in the big flocks like Miriam's, where you've got seven, eight, ten gobblers, uh, you know, there's they all think they've got a chance. They might get pushed to the edge, but they hang around. Every now and then, one of those birds will break and slip in on you, or he might just come right down the gun barrel. And do you, as far as pot and peg calls, do you find with the Merriams that a glass call or a metal call calling surface is better? I think the advantage for that is that high clear and wind cutting ability. Um, that's that's the biggest uh, advantage to those that I see. Now you hear it all the time. People say, oh, you use that glass out west with that aluminum out west. That's that's the ticket. I'm gonna tell you what. Burn a lot of birds up this year with just a good old slate call. Mm. And um, but you know you can manipulate the slate so much easier. You can get your high pitch place in that in that slate if the wind's low and 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 do real well with it. But yeah, I, I would you know if I had to pick one that that I could use every day out there that could help me get through bad windy days or you know that 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 glass or that aluminum would be the go to for me. Yeah. I've thought about this before. Maybe you can answer this. If the hens are supposed to go to the goblet, right? Mm-hmm. I've never gobbled up a hen. Have you? I would have to say that I have. Um, not, okay. Not, um, not i got to work on my gobble. That's A. <laughs> well, I've just had I've had hens come in before that I didn't even know were around, but I would be doing some, some gobbling back and forth <laughs> with a bird, and you know, there's a, there's a hen. You know, whether she came to me or not, I can't go, yeah, I called up the hen because I was gobbling. But, I, yeah, I would I would say that's probably why they showed up. But I've no, always wondered a, if that would be a, a viable strategy to draw the hens to you if you were gobbling a bunch. I don't know. Well, what's it going to hurt to try, you know? Hey, yeah, I need, there's, a, there's a project for next year I'm going to try. I'm going to try to gobble well, a hen. Right, and there comes a time where you're like, hey, pull out all the stops, what have I got to lose, you know? Yeah, um, and you know another thing that, that people overlook sometimes is there's certain years that I've seen where jakes kind of rule the roost. You know, there's just bands of jakes come up and ruin mm-hmm. hunts, run gobblers off, and so forth. Well, I've had jakes run gobblers off in hand up situations. You got a you got gobbler with all these hands, and all of a sudden out of the blue, you don't even know where they came from. Here comes a band of seven or eight jakes. And they run him around, run him around. And the case point was this past spring, I had my girlfriend with me. We were hunting. All my clients were done. So we got to hunt a few days before we came home. And we, we found some birds in this big cornfield about two miles around this field. So you could you could maneuver around. We got set up in a couple of cedars on the fence line and uh, got some birds going in different directions. Well, there were two jakes, and uh, I think there were like nine nine or ten hens, and they were just feeding around, you know, off at a distance from us, cut corn. And uh, I kept calling off and on, just trying to get something going, because I'd heard some gobbles around and, and a couple of gobbles around the cornfield. Well, one, all of a sudden, this, the gobbler comes up, and he goes goes by us, but he didn't come in, because I had a I had a Jake decoy and a, and a squat and a hen laying down in front of it, which is pretty consistently, it's a good set. Well, he saw it, went on right on by, and he starts over there to to those big pile of hens and the two jakes. Now, those jakes over there, they're not strutting or anything. They're just feeding along. I called again, and, and some birds about blew our hat off right behind us, and here comes another group of jakes, and there's probably five. 
they came out and bowed up at the decoy, and then they went on, and they saw that gobbler over there with the hens, and they took off running. And I told my girlfriend, I said, if it was to run that gobbler off. And they did, and they ran that joker around. It was ridiculous. And actually started running him toward us. And then he cut under a fence and went off out of sight, and they, did, they went right behind him. In a few minutes, I called again. You could hear the jakes gobble behind us, and we're looking at to where these jakes all of a sudden they start coming back under the fence and between the jakes and us here the long beard pops back under the fence he walks right out in front of us. she shot him at eight yards and that's just a case of jakes running the show and they ran him out of the hens but that we got lucky because they ran him in our direction but the point being i've seen it over and over and over where we've had jakes just ruling the roof so to speak and i've had gobblers big mature gobblers with you know, inch and a quarter spurs that won't open their mouth and duck away when they see the jakes coming, but they slip back in the back door after the jakes move on or the jakes aren't paying attention, they'll still try to slip in. So don't overlook what a jake can do you a favor. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. I'm I'm always quick to cuss them. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm cuss them more than I've, than I've uh, appreciated them, but, but I, I sure have thanked a few, and I thanked them this year because – you know, that, that got my girlfriend killed a really nice bird there. And um, and he wasn't a, he wasn't a two-year-old. I would say he was a good three-year-old bird and good, solid, white-tipped Miriam. And she was happy. And, of course, if she was happy, that made me happy. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. But it was, yeah, it was, it was good. Nice. But I think, I think hens are, uh, you know, can make or break in. And I think hens get a lot of, uh, you know, bad reports from people because we automatically assume if a gobbler's falling a hen off that the hen's stolen well we got to remember that a gobbler's looking at a hen based on sight and he sees a hen and he goes with the hen. that's that's all that's all that's on his mind so it's not necessarily that she cares one way or the other but you go through those periods where he sees a hen he's going with a hen he can go through other times when He's standing there with hens, and you make the right call at the right time, and he and he comes running in. He leaves hens. You know that's that's a cool thing to see, and we all like to go. Oh, I called him off of ten hens. Uh, you you may have, but trust me, you'll never make one do anything he doesn't want to do. Oh yeah. And, uh, you just just hit the right button at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Several years ago, I was hunting with a buddy at his hunting camp in West Alabama, and we heard these birds gobbling early in the morning we got over in that area but it was after they'd flown down and mm-hmm. so we were set up and we were calling to them well we figured out they were in this in this road running through some planted pines and so we got to where we could see down the road and saw those two gobblers down there in the road they were probably 125 yards from us and we call and they'd answer but they weren't real interested and they they were just kind of hanging out in the area and all of a sudden out of the planted pines here comes two hens and i looked at my buddy and i said well this hunt's over it was late season i mean it was probably the last weekend of alabama season and so you know i said well this hunt's this hunt's probably over we probably go to the house and get some breakfast and take a nap and come back out you know a little bit after lunchtime and give it another go and he said, yeah, you're probably right. I said, well, let's, let's, I'm sitting here and I'm watching and, you know, these hens don't look at all interested in these wow. gobblers. Let's just, 
hang out. Let's just see what happens for a little bit. He said, all right. We sat there and those gobblers walked around those hens. No, never went into strut or anything, but they walked, you know, all walked around for a 50-yard little area with them. And those hens never paid them not one bit of attention. They were just feeding. And, I, you know, I kind of feel like, I don't know for a fact, but I kind of feel like they had nests back there in the pines somewhere and they were about to go and, you know, they're getting a little snack before they're going to go sit on the nest for the rest of the day. And finally, yeah, and, and so we, I start calling to him again. And, you know, I'm calling, and they're looking our way, looking our way. Well, finally, the hens walk in the woods, and I said, well, this is it. You know, one of two things is going to happen. They're either coming to us or they're following the hens. And we just kept calling. He's calling, too, and I was calling, calling, calling. And those jokers turned from where those hens went in the woods and walked straight up there to us and oh, I left this part of the story out. That morning, we get into the woods, and we're probably 400 yards from the truck. And my buddy says, I said, what? I don't have my freaking shotgun. Oh, my God. You did that. <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, well, lucky for you, I've killed, you know, I don't know. I can't remember if I killed three or four at the time. I said, lucky for you, I've killed a few, and he hadn't killed any. And I said, here's my gun. So, anyway, both of those birds comes up, come up to us, and he shoots one and hands me the shotgun and before i can get on that second bird to get a shot he he got real nervous and he darted into the pines and he was gone but we got one out of the two and you know you just what you said is true you just don't know about those hens just because there's hens with them doesn't mean that they're necessarily that the hens are necessarily interested in those gobblers and they'll figure it out and and if you sound sexier and a little more loose and you know have have bad morals than those yeah. those hens that they see then you know you're in the game that's right and and i think it's also important to you know when i first started turkey hunting um a long time ago i didn't have anybody take me by the hand and show me the ropes i got my brains beat out uh, on a regular basis and until i started figuring some things out but one thing that i do recall hearing somewhere along the way early on somebody said oh they're gonna be hand up just just kick back a while take you a nap eat a snack whatever this old guy will come back looking for you and i thought you're crazy and coming back he's gone and i i would get up and leave you know they they go the other way and i go well go find something somewhere else well something happened one day and i said i'm gonna, I'm gonna sit here a while and just just see if something materializes in a little while and, you know, I, I still I get so tickled at all the people that pour out of the woods at 10 o'clock in the morning and go to the huddle house. Man, y'all have a good time. Enjoy your waffle because if it's significant, you're right. Mm-hmm. And it does a lot of times. And, and mm-hmm. I honestly believe that some of those birds that left that morning are the very birds that died later on in, in the mid-morning. So you can't, you can't just abandon ship just because they pull out on you know if you know the place they like to be or go or you got another spot you want to go hit sure i get it but sometimes you don't i don't sometimes i'm like well this is where i'm committed to today and i'm just as good right here as i am somewhere else in this particular setup i'm gonna kick back right here i'm gonna, I'm gonna scratch some leaves a little bit every now and then. i'm gonna make make a little hand talk every now and then and you'd be surprised you hear that bird pop off right there about 200 yards and go yep here he comes and sometimes he does, and, 
and it makes you feel really smug about yourself for a few days. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, not on the topic of not hen hunting anymore. How are the Merriam's populations looking? A. Okay, go ahead. And then B. I want to know your thoughts on the regulatory changes in your home state of Georgia. Okay. Um, as far as Miriam's population goes, it was fantastic this year. Um, I know that um, we're real, real particular about the amount of birds we take off our property. So, uh, you know, we take a few on, on, a, on a piece, and I'm not going to say we, we dog it off because I don't take, um, you know, I, I think I had 18 hunters this year. And um, so that my property's in good enough uh, condition that population wise that I can I can take I might say unlimited amount of birds on all these properties I'm only taking a maximum of 36 birds out of those 18 hunters and I was in good shape we killed 33 we had uh, a couple of misses there that, that kept it from being two all the way across the board but most everybody got two birds but I, I can say this when I left all my properties this year I'm in good shape in terms of mature birds and we had phenomenal amount of jakes on all my property so i'm really happy to see that um mm. it was in good shape really good shape so so i've got i don't know 10 to twelve thousand acres in south dakota and i got a couple thousand down in nebraska I really need to get some more down there but south dakota's in really good shape um, good as far as uh, yeah it, it, it is it feels it feels good to, to leave it that way you know um, as far as the rules and reg changes in the state of georgia uh, I, I will say that I believe changes were needed and, and, and more changes are needed. Um, some people cringe when I say that, but uh, am I happy that we went from three to two and our season got backed up to April 2nd on private property and April 9th on public ground and you shoot a bird a day and all that? Not necessarily happy that that's what it's come to, but I'm happy to see the state, uh, the WRD, uh, make changes to try to help alleviate some of the problems that we're having. Now, I don't believe for a minute that those changes alone are going to make the difference and, uh, you know, by themselves. I think they can help yeah. and I understand the, the reasoning behind what they've done with those changes. Uh, the thing that bothers me is when you make changes like that, um, you know, I know that, you know, splitting it where you you open up the season on private land a week before you do on public ground. I, I'm not sure I understand the entire logic behind that. I think you can create a little bit of animosity there between yeah. guys that don't have property. Uh, so it's kind of, it's almost like they're being punished because they don't own any land. Uh, I'm yeah. sure they got the right. on that. And then, then of course, uh, you, you do these things and you try to, it makes you feel like, okay, this is good. And you're, We've been kind of dormant for 20-plus years and hadn't made any changes. Now we're finally making some changes. That's good to see. And you think you got everybody on the same page and it makes you feel pretty good about it. And then you turn around and you, you burn up thousands of acres the last week of turkey season. makes no sense to me at all. Uh, I'll stand on that soapbox and, and, and <laughs> say it because it pisses me off. But... <laughs> It makes no sense to me. Got a got a survey that came out today, uh, poll sightings. I started to respond. I found 27 fried ones in track A on such such management area, but I didn't do it. I, I just being <laughs> <laughs> in a fan, man. There's just no point in it, you know. So uh, it, that's 
discouraging. It's like, do you really care? Or are you just putting a little grease on the squeaky wheel? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that approach, as you know, is, well, we can sacrifice one year because it improves habitat and makes things better for years after that. And, oh, they you know, but they're, I, but they're burning the same tracks every year. And, you know, it takes two or three years to get good brood habitat. So you yeah, burn a, a yeah. thick state area off. That's going to be good in about two or three years. Well, not if you turn around and burn it two or three years. I mean, you're just kind of defeating the purpose there, too. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people got their eyebrows raised about certain practices. And uh, I, I know that there's an awful lot that needs to be done. I don't have all the answers. I've got some, and I think the best resource that these people have, aside from the, the great, um, you know, biologists like Dr. Chamberlain and uh, Dr. Goolsby at Auburn, Dr. Chamberlain at Georgia, and, and others. Uh, I think the research that they do and the work that they do is tireless, and that they, they don't get enough credit for what they do. They get a lot of negative feedback. Oh, they said, everything he says is this and that, and they think that's the law. Well, by God, those guys are beating the bushes every day. Yeah. So I commend them for what they do. But at the same time, aside from, from guys like, like those two and others, the greatest resource that they could pick the brains of are the hunters themselves, the guys out there beating the bushes every day during the season. Take take some of that and, and consider it. You know, there's it's all kind of problems we have. You know, it's like like you can take a page out of a lot of different states and, and go, well, they, they do it this way, and this is a pretty good idea. Well, maybe we should look into this. I mean, we harp about money. We don't have the money to do this or do that. These projects cost money. You got great new organization, TFT. I know you guys know all about it. I won't get off on that right now, but it's strictly for the turkey. So in my mind, it's something simple, just a simple old country Georgia boy can sit here and go, well, okay, we had X amount of hunters last year. I think it was, I don't remember what the number was, but you could you could sell a turkey habit, a turkey stamp, just a turkey stamp. If you're going to hunt Georgia, turkeys then you got to buy this stamp for 25 bucks I'd, I'd buy it i'd buy it in a heartbeat and i know most of the guys i know are true hardcore passionate turkey hunters would buy it and never blink an eye 25 bucks and Heck, i know that, a bunch of folks including myself have bought one in arkansas for 25 bucks and i and didn't even hunt arkansas them <laughs> yeah, yeah buy them all over the place man buy them in south dakota nebraska everywhere so you buy that stamp, multiply it times the amount of hunters we had last year. I think I figured it up to like three point something odd million dollars. How hard is that? I don't understand why that's such a big deal. Just do it, man. We got duck stamps. We got, you know, migratory bird stamps. We got all this kind of stuff. But we can't have a turkey stamp. That shows me that the priority of the turkey is not as high as it needs to be uh, in some people's eyes. And I'll tell you this. Nobody has ever been born that loves turkey hunting any more than I do, but I love the turkey more. So I think people need to step up, go to bat for them, and do everything they can within themselves to to help them out. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing if you talk to, I don't think I've ever talked to a single turkey hunter who said, I wouldn't buy a turkey stamp, you know. I I literally think that 90% probably, I mean, I have no idea, but I'd assume most of your turkey hunters are passionate enough where, and everyone's just like you saying, please, charge us this please make us pay you this and they won't do it <laughs> I, don't no. know. Yeah. I don't know what other business gets run that way where your, your customers are asking you to tax them and you won't do it 
It beats all I've ever seen. <laughs> hey, man, I'm going to give you 25 bucks. Nah, I'm good. No. no. That would be a hassle for us to print stamps. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I guess. I guess it's got to be something that cost. I don't know. Uh, if no. it costs you two to print one, they charge 27. I don't care. You know, let's, let's make that. <laughs> Uh, keep keep your twenty five dollars. We got some we got some CWD we need to worry yeah. about over here. Yeah, the deer the deer needs some love. Yeah, yeah, we better get on that right away, right away. And I'm not, you know, I like deer hunt too, but turkeys, man, if it wasn't for the turkey, I don't know what I'd do. I'd be a lost soul. Same here. That's you do that on with that. I mean, you look at arkansas is a voluntary stamp they didn't even make it mandatory and they're making six you know well into six figures a year on that i mean that's just a sure. voluntary basis yeah, yeah. and that's not even it. federal matching funds yeah you know i don't i don't know all the details of how you get those the matching federal dollars but i do know that alabama when they started the baiting permit that you have to have to bait for deer they're getting three to one or maybe it's four to one federal dollars match for every baiting permit that's they a, sell Pittman robertson act it's a, it's right. a um, three to one match and it goes to the department of treasury and they review it and go yeah okay and so you know why would anybody refuse to do something like that that what's the reasoning behind it i have no idea I really don't, but it's a it's a great tool there available for for departments to use, and and uh, you know, people need to wake up. I mean, this is going. I I got a friend that lives in Missouri, and I've hunted his place many times and, and killed some birds up there. And I've been up there where you know you you hear birds in every direction, and it's like, man, this is awesome. And and the last time I hunted it was a couple of years ago, and it was it was not the same. It was going downhill in terms of what we were hearing and what we usually experience there. And he's he's talked about it to me in in detail uh, for the last several years. And and then he sent me a text uh, a little few weeks back, end of Missouri season. And he was he was very upset that Missouri killed um, one of their least amount of turkeys in a season in like ten years or more. Or maybe yeah. ever, I don't know the records, but it was like thirty thousand birds, and I, I couldn't help but chuckle just a little bit, just a little bit. I mean, I sympathize, but Georgia used to kill thirty-something thousand birds a year too, and we we barely broke, according to Game Check, we broke ten this year. So don't, you know, it can get worse. So the point being, the states that are doing well now think that. Everything's good to go. Anything to worry about? We used to be that state, and it is. Alabama. It is amazing. It can it can turn quickly because sure I mean, I just I feel like what three years ago, everybody Oklahoma's you know just slam full of them, and then mm-hmm. look at it now, down to a one bird state, and they're just reeling. They don't know what's going on. I mean, I, I don't. Exactly. I it don't can think. happen fast. I, I hear people from a lot of states will argue with me about it because they're like oh we got so many turkeys there and you know and i'm like well you get ready it's probably coming i hope it's not but it's probably coming bless your heart that's all i can say i'm glad you do but enjoy it because you know i think the biggest thing is whoever you organizational wise or individual wise or state wise whoever you decide to support if you do you need to do it because we didn't we didn't inherit turkeys from our fathers. We're borrowing from our children, and we 
it's our responsibility. It's on our shoulders right now to do something. And I don't want to look at my grandkid one day on a crisp April morning and then look at me and go, I thought you said turkeys made that noise. What, what did you call it? <laughs> because they're not hearing anything. I don't want that on my shoulders. I don't want that on my plate. You know, it's already on our plate, but I don't want it. I don't want to shrug it off and do nothing. So we, if we love turkeys like we say we do, then we, we need to do what we can do, whatever that is, to help turkeys. I'm Amen. with you. I, I was just curious as to your thoughts, because when I see a state make regulatory changes and we talk to somebody from that state, I like to hear their opinion on it as a resident. Yeah, well, um, I think, like I said, I think changes were needed. I think more changes are needed. I think you may you may see some changes. I, I don't took 20-something years to get any changes at all. For as long as we were three-bird state, kill them all at one sitting if you want to. Kill them all on one WMA or your own place or whatever you wanted to do. It was just, sure, turkey season, kill them all, boys, and yeah. uh, way now. So, you know, we've changed it to one bird per management area or national forest area or whatever. So those are those are positive things, and you try to look at silver lining and all of it. It's a shame. I, I believe if action had been taken uh, a lot of years ago, that it wouldn't be so drastic now. But uh, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but I can see I can see it getting to a point because every animal population's gonna expand and contract naturally. Sure. And when you have two, three years of contraction, you say, Well, you know, next year's gonna be a better year, you know, the population's down, it's it's just that means a predator population's probably down a little bit or whatever else and you you're gonna see a good year for turkeys and then you know, something like a drought hits or you have an extremely wet brooding season and, you know, you lose a bunch of poults that way. And, you know, it, it just, it, I mean, it only takes two or three years of bad recruitment, Absolutely. bad hatches and right. bad weather. And man, I mean, talk well, about a dent in your population. Oh, it, it is. And, and, and Georgia's had bad hatch after bad hatch after bad hatch for years for years yeah i mean you know your your poult to hen ratio is something like you know point something poults per hen yeah yeah so it's bad and you know i always get tickled people so you can never kill all your gobbles off the place well that's the biggest (laughs) bunch of bunk i've ever heard and i hope every one of those people are listening right now because if you got five gobblers on your place and you shoot five gobblers, how many gobblers does that leave? Now, I, I wasn't <laughs> the best student in the world, but that comes to zero. Well, you're going to have jakes come in, not not if you're having pistol hatches. Yep. So, you know, you, well, you can't depend on the places. I mean, the studies have shown jakes, I think 4% of jakes are viable enough to fertilize one egg. So your jakes mm-hmm. ain't doing much for you. No, no, they're not. And, and then, I mean, you can... I could talk, that'd be a topic for a whole podcast right there. Cause it, you look at all the studies that have been done in the past and why our seasons are set the way they are and everything. 30% the metric that was used in the past. Uh, that's how many of the population of males you can take without hurting the population. 30%. So if you hear five and you kill two, you've already violated it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, each individual, you know, just because the season limit is two or three or four or five, whatever, in, in a particular state, 
doesn't mean you have to kill two or three or four or five. If you've got, you know, wadded up and, and you're in good shape and you can do it and not make a dent, okay, whatever. But, you know, I I don't own a lot of land. I've got 160 acres. There's times I don't, it's been many a year, I don't even bother with it because I don't need to kill a bird back there, you know. Yeah. I've got two gobblers, so leave them alone. You know, let them breed. But I think we all have to, to make our minds up, you know, between just there's so many things that are affecting turkeys between nest predators and and habitat loss and bait and deer that's just raising raccoon colonies and uh, you know on and on we could go and uh, it's kind of beating a dead horse but it's a horse that's still living <laughs> and so I don't mind beating on it and and I know that y'all <laughs> talk about it but it is what it is you know and until till it stops I'm gonna keep beating. And that's just, that's, yeah. I feel like it's our job. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. my kind of personal rule I've said on here before is I don't ever shoot more than one turkey out of a flock. I don't care if there's 20 gobblers together or if it's one gobbler. If I kill one somewhere, I'm gone. Not I'm coming right. back. Uh, I don't either. I mean, I, I just, I think you do a lot of damage if you shoot the three turkeys off the same tree on the same ridge. I think you've, You've really disrupted things. You have, you have, and that's that's one reason it didn't bother me to go to a bird a day in Georgia. I mean, you know, three birds come in, you shoot one, the other two walk off. Well, they can still maybe help you out. You know, do some breed, get some more. And some maybe don't go back to them. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I think the individual has to make um, good sound decisions and judgment on what he's doing on his property or anybody's property for that matter, public ground too. Well, I, I killed this bird, but it was on public ground. Did you, but you killed him, right? I mean, he's dead. He's he's not coming back. Mm. So that's fine. You don't have to kill two more there. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that's I think that's important. You know, I think we we all need to start realizing that the future of this bird's in our hands. And I think is. a lot of for a lot of us in these in the southern states, we realize that. You know, yeah, there's some some biologists out there that are really rooting for and doing good things to help the wild turkey. But if our state game and fish departments are not on board, if our conservation advisory boards are not on board with the recommendations that those biologists are making to help protect the population, just because we can shoot three turkeys, four turkeys, five turkeys, just because we can start hunting with a gun on March the 15th. Doesn't mean we have to. Amen. We can right. hunt with a video camera on March the 15th and pick up a gun on April 1st or April the 10th or whatever it is. You're or exactly right. Take a gun and don't shoot a turkey. Shoot a raccoon when he comes down the tree 10 yards <laughs> yeah. in front of you. There you go. You know, so it, we, we, I think we owe it to, it's just what you said, we owe it to our children, we owe it to the turkeys. And you know, if we know that doing something like not shooting a turkey on March the 15th and starting to hunt on April 1st is going to give that turkey more time to breed, then what harm is that doing? It's not doing any harm, except to a guy that just wants to be out there shooting from day one. Hey, I get it. I love to go. Well, I still love to peel that tater just as much as I ever have. But I'll give you a good example of that restraint self-restraint decision that you got to make dr chamberlain and i are friends we were having lunch one day 
he he's a strong advocate of, of starting and he won't start the season if it was up to him we'd start the season in georgia in the middle of april and he does not start he doesn't hunt georgia till the middle of april he made that decision himself to not do it and he does and i'm like man better you than me dude <laughs> but yeah. but you know that's that's the decision he made the choice he made and we all have choices every season that we have to make do i want to shoot that bird or you know the states that you've got two that come in at one time and you can still shoot two do i shoot both of them do i let one go do i shoot either what have i got here you know we've we got to make those decisions do i shoot a jake do i not shoot a jake you know i, I think everybody's got their own opinions about jakes and amounts of birds it's a it's it's sad, but it's a competition. It's, it's what it is. It, yeah, that's exactly right. And the only competition you need is that joker that's out there strutting and gobbling and sitting on the limb and scratching the leaf. That's the only competition you need, and people miss that. think, sadly, too, that there are people out there, groups, that are trying to redefine turkey hunt. They're, they're writing a new definition, and I ain't buying it. I grew up doing it one way. Does that make me right? Yeah, by God, I believe it does because that's that's how it's always been until now, and now everything's different. We can we can shoot them at uh, you know 85 yards. We can crawl out of the field behind a fan with our white t-shirt and our shorts on, and oh, that was the most exciting thing I've ever seen. Well, I've had turkeys peck between my boots, calling them the old school way. That's pretty dang exciting too. So don't don't cram that agenda down my throat. It ain't gonna work here. Amen. <laughs> I'll get off my box. Let me let me climb down off the thing. Man, all, all I had to do is ask about Georgia regulations. Donald went I'm out sorry. and found him the tallest soapbox he could find. <laughs> and up on it. He's preaching it. That government extension ladder to get up off this thing. <laughs> we'll send for help. How about that? I'll quit shaking for 30 minutes. Well, I, I tell you, it, you know, whether you guys listening to the show agree with, with Donald or you don't, one thing you've got to say about him is he's passionate about wild turkeys and he wants what's best for wild turkeys. And so, you know, that's why we love having you on the show. I've enjoyed the, the heck out of this. It's just been a great time. It's always good catching up with you. I hope I get the chance to see you in Unicoi in January next year. You will. Absolutely. And, you know, we can take a little time and chat again like we did last year, or this year, I should say, this past January, yep. and maybe even go get a cold beer and Absolutely. shoot the breeze some more. That'd be fun. So tell us, I guess, a couple of different things. Do you have any books left over for sale? <laughs> Yes, I have some on hand. Try to keep some on hand all the time. All right. And I'm, I'm going to ask you how we can get that. And then number two, I just happen to know this because you and I spoke, gosh, I guess it was a week before last, but I happen to know that you're booked up on your South Dakota hunts, your Merriam's hunts for 2023, but you're booking for 2024. Is that correct? That's correct. So if somebody wants to hunt, Miriam's with you in South Dakota or in Nebraska. How can they get in touch with you? And then if somebody wants to buy a book from you, how can they do that? You can do both the same way. You can contact me through message, a Facebook account, reach out to me on there. You can email me at 
Miriam's, like the turkey, underscore 2000 at yahoo.com, or you can uh, you can call me, 706-473-8027. I'll be glad to talk to you about it, any or all of it, but I will warn you, as Andy and Cam know, if you start talking about turkeys, it's a long, long thing for me. I don't get tired of it, so <laughs> be warned ahead of time. We don't get tired of it either. It's just our wives are looking at us like, come on, time to be wrapping that up. <laughs> Turkey season just ended. Stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it, never, it never ends. Yeah, oh, I agree. Well, good deal. Uh, I appreciate you taking time to hop on here with us. I think got some great info on the front end about hunting hand up turkeys and some really good thoughts to put back in people's heads on what's going on with the turkey so i appreciate everything you had to say donald thank you for joining us hey i appreciate y'all having me it's always a pleasure talking to y'all here or out out anywhere uh, always good to good run into y'all and talk to y'all so uh, again i appreciate you having me on and uh, anytime we want to talk about a turkey you know where i'm at Man, all right. yeah. thank you dj have a great night y'all too Take right, care. you too Bye. goodbye i got some good takeaways yeah yeah, I that, thought that was excellent. Yeah, and and you know, good takeaways to use on Easterns. Yeah, absolutely. So don't think that just because the majority of the conversation went the direction of Miriam's that there's nothing there to use. That's some that's some pretty good stuff. Yeah. So well, I mean, you're talking these guides, I mean, you gotta think. They're daily out there with somebody with a gun and they're paid to to put one in gun range so if he's got hands or not you know yeah and i think it's a, a good source to learn from right there and a heck of a guy i just i really enjoy talking to him and his book is excellent if you haven't read it yet or if, if any of our listeners want to get it i highly suggest you contact him and get compositions of a sickness it's it's really good it's an excellent one i i got a signed copy myself yeah yeah definitely do that reach out to dj and get a copy of it and you know i don't want to necessarily blow his phone up but i think if you call him and he's probably willing to talk a little turkey yeah he loves it like we do i'd say that's very possible yeah so awesome you have a favor of the week i'm gonna let you do it this week i feel like I've, i've taken over the past three or four you have but you know i'm gonna kind of go back to the past just a few weeks with a favor of the week and wrap it all up with the season that's now ended for the vast, vast, vast majority of us. There's still a couple of states that are open for another couple of days. Mm-hmm. But don't forget about that mossy oak wild turkey habitat stamp or conservation stamp, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, absolutely. And now that season's over, you know, give some thought to buying a stamp for every turkey that you harvested. Yeah. Or buying a stamp for every turkey that you missed or every turkey that you hunted you know whatever it, whatever your standard needs to be mossy oak still selling those stamps and don't forget that you know we need to we need to be giving back and i think dj hit the nail on the head there at the end of the, the interview when he said you know we're not taking from the turkeys that our fathers left for us, you know, we're taking from our kids' turkeys. Yep. And, you know, what he mentioned about taking a grandson out there and the grandson saying, what does that sound that the, <laughs> that you said a turkey makes? Terrifying. <laughs> it is. 
It is. And, you know, on a national level, I don't know that that will ever happen because there's bound to be turkeys somewhere in this country. But you don't want that to happen in your neck of the woods. I know I don't want it to happen in mine. And so... Quail hunters never thought it happened to them in the southeast. I guarantee you that. That's and it sure 100% has. 100% true. 100% true. So, anyway, that's the favor of the week. Go to... Just go to Google and type in Mossy Oak Wild Turkey Stamp and buy one or 10 or like 25 it. of them. So, yeah. So, ones we've missed or fooled with, so I'm... I'm going to have to go get a loan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a long list, my friend. (laughs) Good for me and, and, or I guess I should say bad for me and good for the turkeys. You know, I said (laughs) early season that I was going to buy one for every turkey I killed. So I've, I've got a couple more to buy and that's it. So I may just go ahead and pay it forward for next season for bird number one. We'll see how that goes. There you go. Good deal. Well, you want to wrap us up? Let's do it. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.